I want you to hit me as hard as you can. What's this? What's this? A Tim Burton classic that's not actually directed by Tim Burton? The Nightmare Before Christmas went from a fever dream poem to a dual holiday classic, eventually even becoming a theme park staple, a cosplay favorite, a hot topic hallmark, and a merchandising motherlode. But it was not an easy gift to wrap. Pay a visit to Christmastown and find out what the fuck happened to this movie. Before Tim Burton mass-marketed pop-goth cinema in the late 1980s with horror comedy Beetlejuice and his DC Comics superhero interpretation Batman, he worked as an apprentice, animator, and designer for Disney, serving on more family-friendly fare like The Fox and the Hound and CGI landmark Tron. Although he often went uncredited as he did as a puppet performer on The Muppet Movie, he was building his reputation in the inventive world of animation. In 1982, Burton directed the stop-motion short film Vincent, based on his own poem about a Vincent Price-obsessed boy who performs mad experiments on his dog. But Burton also had another poem tucked away, a twist on Twas the Night Before Christmas, also known as A Visit from St. Nicholas. Burton's version, called The Nightmare Before Christmas, mashed Halloween and Christmas together like no one had before, introducing the character of Jack Skellington, a resident of Halloweenland, who becomes enamored with Christmas and longs to bring its joy to his spooky hometown. The story was partly inspired by the idea of looming holidays and the inevitable overlap like department stores packing up Halloween before October 31st so they can start filling the shelves with Christmas products. Burton said, I find the mix of Halloween and Christmas beautiful. He also admitted it was more than just simple imagination, saying, I was hallucinating. I had 108 temperature fever the night it was written. I think that's where you get your best ideas, the ones that come out of your subconscious. Thanks for watching Joe Blow videos. If you enjoy our shows, please like and subscribe, and click the bell to be notified when new videos go live. Now, back to the show! Burton hoped to turn the poem into a half-hour TV special, along the lines of the stop-motion Rankin-Bass holiday classics, particularly the annual favorite Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. As a backup plan, he figured he could turn it into a children's book, something similar to How the Grinch Stole Christmas. To give Disney an idea of what The Nightmare Before Christmas could be, he and collaborator Rick Heinrichs developed concepts and models, with early interactions of the central character Jack and love interest Sally, who was not featured in the poem. Burton sought additional aid from fellow Disney animator Henry Selleck, who had credits on Pete's Dragon and The Watcher in the Woods. But things came to a halt in the mid-80s when Disney shoved Burton out of the mouse house following Frankenweenie, which led the company to think that he was not able to make movies for their target audience. The next year, Burton made his feature directing debut with Warner Brothers on Pee-wee's Big Adventure. And from that success, his career catapulted with Beetlejuice and Batman, one of the highest grossing movies of the 1980s. As the 90s rolled in, Burton again turned his attention to Nightmare Before Christmas. And after the Bat blockbuster, Disney now had an incentive to team with the director. Of course, they had also maintained the rights to Burton's original story, all but tying him to a contract with the studio if he ever wanted to make it. Or, as Burton candidly put it, there's this thing you sign when you work there which states that any thoughts you have during your employment are owned by the Thought Police. You signed your soul away in blood when you worked there. After Burton did sign a contract, in blood presumably, production got moving on The Nightmare Before Christmas, and disagreements between the director and studio began almost immediately. 
Disney had some experience with Twas the Night Before Christmas, having done an animated version with a 1933 Silly Symphony short. They wanted to make Nightmare a traditional 2D animated film that would fit into the Disney Renaissance, a hugely successful period that started with The Little Mermaid and ushered in a new era of animation. But Burton opposed the idea and won. The wild success of Batman had given Disney a certain comfort level with the filmmaker, and so they gave Burton creative control of the movie. His influences for the project ranged from stop-motion pioneer Ray Harryhausen to Dr. Seuss, German Expressionism, artist Francis Bacon, and Charles Adams, creator of The Adams Family. But it turned out that Burton would not be directing the movie after all, because he had also been given creative freedom on Batman Returns, which also had a prominent Christmas setting, and he was in pre-production for Ed Wood. He also expressly did not want to spend time with the painstakingly slow process of stop-motion animation. So instead, he would serve as producer for the adaptation of the story he created himself, and he gave the directing job to his old former Disney colleague, Henry Selleck, making his feature debut. Production on The Nightmare Before Christmas began in January 1991. Skellington Productions, originally called Selleck Burton Projects, would be housed in San Francisco, which, in theory, was far enough from Los Angeles that Disney suits would not be randomly popping in. One thing they did not have was a script. When Disney assigned producer Kathleen Gavin to manage the production, Selleck admitted that they had a talented art department and a general direction, but they had not even storyboarded anything. The movie had been given a budget of $18 million, but figuring out the actual timeline and logistics of making a stop-motion feature was a complete mystery to everyone involved. Michael McDowell, who wrote Beetlejuice and episodes of TV series Tales from the Dark Side, was initially brought on to adapt Burton's poem, but his work was essentially tossed out, and the focus was turned to the music aspect. Enter Danny Elfman, who had scored all of Burton's films up to that point and whose new wave rock band, Oingo Boingo, was nearing its end. Elfman compared his own feelings at the time to Jack's crisis of character. With the movie going forward as a full-fledged musical, Elfman would be given an idea for a scene, along with concept art, then go off to his studio to compose a song, before finally bringing it back to Burton for notes. This cycle repeated until the entire soundtrack was written, with notable entries like This Is Halloween, Oogie Boogie's Song, and What's This? which was actually the first scene that was filmed. There was discussion between Burton and Henry Selleck as to whether they had too many songs, but after Selleck highlighted their importance to the character development, emotional center, and basic storytelling, it was decided that 10 songs was just the right number for the movie's runtime, which would end up being a mere 72 minutes before the end credits start rolling. The script would finally come from Burton's Edward Scissorhands screenwriter, Caroline Thompson, who was also Danny Elfman's girlfriend at the time. Her duties involved stitching together bits and pieces between the songs, engaging in creative back and forth with the storyboard artists, and she helped form the character of Sally. But Thompson was usually back in LA during filming, and Selleck and his team would deviate from her script when creative inspiration struck, which was a major point of contention for the writer. Thompson and Selleck would never be on the same page during production. Selleck would later claim, there are very few lines of dialogue that are Caroline's. Burton's original poem only had three characters, Jack, his ghost dog, Zero, and Santa Claus, so the movie would need more figures to populate ghoulish Halloween Town and cheery Christmas Town. Danny Elfman would handle Jack Skellington's singing, while his speaking parts would be done by Chris Sarandon. This particular casting decision happened late in the process, when it was decided that Elfman's acting ability wasn't quite right for Jack, and Selleck asked Burton to replace his friend in the role. 
Unfortunately, Burton delegated the delivery of this bad news to Caroline Thompson, rather than handle it himself, which caused a brief falling out between him and the composer. Casting additional characters would be something of a mini-reunion for Burton. Beetlejuice co-star Catherine O'Hara would provide the voice for Sally, while Glenn Shaddix, better known as Otho, would be the mayor of Halloween Town. There was also Pee Wee Herman himself, Paul Rubens, as trick-or-treater Locke. Rounding out the primary cast were William Hickey as Dr. Finkelstein, and stage actor and singer Ken Page would portray Oogie Boogie, the movie's insect-filled antagonist. Oogie Boogie proved to be the most controversial character in the movie. During production, Caroline Thompson expressed concerns over the name, which she called an old southern derogatory phrase for an African-American, and the fact that he was voiced by a black Broadway performer only hurt more, she thought. Thompson approached Burton and Selleck on the matter, but was rebuked, with Selleck claiming Oogie Boogie had a distinguishable New Orleans jazz-inspired personality. The representation was one of many disagreements between Thompson and Burton, who are apparently still not on good terms to this day. The narration was originally intended for horror legend Vincent Price, but the actor opted out after the death of his wife. Don Amici and James Earl Jones were also approached, but Amici was deemed really grouchy, and Jones took offense at Elfman misrepresenting that the role was written specifically for him. Patrick Stewart actually recorded audio, but it was only used for the accompanying soundtrack. The narration heard in the final film is done by Ed Ivory, who also voices Sandy Claus. The Skellington production facilities offered nearly two dozen sound stages, with over 200 individual sets, most of which were specially designed so animators could alter the models more easily. The team consisted of more than 120 workers, including 13 animators. There were nearly 230 character puppets in total, many of which were purposely scratched in order to mimic the works of two additional influences, distinctive illustrators Edward Gorey and Ronald Searle. Jack Skellington alone had about 400 different heads for his range of expressions, and his outfit was changed from all black to a pinstripe suit as it photographed better and aligned with Burton's penchant for striped clothing. Sally was given multiple faces, but far fewer variations than Jack, because there was the constant risk of damaging her fragile hair in the process of swapping faces. With his thousands of bugs and a two-foot model that was twice the size of most others in the film, Oogie Boogie unsurprisingly proved the hardest to animate. Stop-motion animation is a notoriously tedious process. After all, it was a key reason Burton didn't want to direct himself. The team would test shoot a portion of a scene and then show it to Selleck for approval. Only then, after several trial runs, could that portion be committed. The repetition of the process was so specific and meticulous that almost nothing had to be reshot. Even though he spent no more than 10 days total on set, Tim Burton's trademark peculiar style had to be integrated throughout the film, including a mandate that Halloween Town could not feature any right angles. Rick Heinrichs, who was simultaneously serving as art director on Batman Returns in Hollywood, would travel to San Francisco on weekends to make sure Burton's vision was being accurately represented and enforced, which naturally caused some friction with Nightmare's actual art director, Dean Taylor. Burton would receive footage as it was completed, and said, I would get shocked every week when the film would be sent to me. It would be like a burst of energy because it was so beautiful. That beauty was captured through nearly 110,000 individual frames. It would take a full week to shoot just one minute of the movie. It's no wonder production took 18 months just for the animation. Although that doesn't mean that every planned minute was actually going to make it. After a year of shooting, it became clear that the budget would not stretch far enough to complete the movie as designed. 
Producer Kathleen Gavin took a rough cut, comprised mostly of storyboard images, and showed it to Disney executives, who absolutely loved it. Then she listed all the things that would need to be removed unless they received additional funding. This clever tactic scored the filmmakers an extra $6 million to complete the movie. As things were drawing closer to the finish line, Selleck was not happy with the original ending and came up with an idea to reveal that Dr. Finkelstein was actually inside Oogie Boogie, controlling him like a puppet. When Tim Burton arrived at the set to review it, he reportedly hated Selleck's version so much that he literally kicked a hole in a wall. Needless to say, the finale in the movie is Burton's original. Almost three years after cameras first started rolling, The Nightmare Before Christmas was finally ready for release. Disney decided not to put the movie under their traditional G-rated animation line when it was determined to be too dark and scary for children after a test screening, which Elfman later called catastrophic. So instead, it went under their Touchstone Pictures banner with a PG rating, and it would be dubbed Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas to capitalize on the filmmaker's recent box office domination. This marketing ploy justifiably bothered actual director Henry Selleck, although he has described the production as a genuine collaboration, saying, Burton laid the egg, and I sat on it and hatched it. After a limited release, the movie opened wide on October 29, 1993, just in time for Halloween, and it claimed first place at the weekend box office. But its unique tone also confounded both audiences and critics at the time, and although it did collect $50 million during its initial run, it was gone from theaters nearly a month before Christmas. The movie ended up earning an Academy Award nomination for Best Visual Effects, making it the first completely animated film to do so. And then, through VHS and DVD releases, The Nightmare Before Christmas would slowly develop a major cult following. Disney began to realize they were sitting on a veritable gold mine, or at least a viable merchandising revenue stream. This prompted numerous home video and theatrical re-releases, including a 3D conversion to capitalize on that trend ultimately pushing its box office total over 90 million. The eventual but enduring appeal of its designs and music has taken the movie's longevity to great lengths with many live concerts and screenings that often include original cast members. Jack Skellington has become a fan favorite and even a Henry Selleck mainstay, showing up in his films James and the Giant Peach and Coraline. Jack is undoubtedly one of the primary reasons for the endless array of merchandise over the years, with everything from the expected figures, video games, and books, to socks, cufflinks, and slow cookers? While a Disney theme park attraction based on the movie never became reality, it has still come to life every year at Disneyland since 2001, when the iconic dark ride Haunted Mansion gets an annual makeover to let Jack Skellington run amok and spread holiday cheer and chaos from October until January. A sequel has been debated as the film's cult status has grown. Disney even considered an all-CGI movie, but has also talked about a stop-motion sequel and a live-action remake but Burton wants to maintain the purity of the original and outright rejects the studio's idea, saying, I was always very protective of the movie, not to do sequels or things of that kind. You know, Jack visits Thanksgiving World or other kinds of things. That does lead us to the question of which holiday the movie really fits. Danny Elfman and Henry Selleck have both declared it a Halloween movie, but Tim Burton himself originally conceived it as a perfect overlap. So is it a Halloween movie or a Christmas movie? Judging by the amount of Nightmare Before Christmas decorations available at either holiday, the answer seems to be yes. Let us know your thoughts. Leave a comment in the comments. And thanks for watching.